Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is um, God's word and there's like 50 more people than I thought would be here. Um, today. Uh, So for the month of January, we're working through um, several of Paul's prayers. And the reason we're doing this is because uh, we looked at last week, grace and the spirit is necessary for our mission in life. Okay, whether as an individual to, to walk out worship and discipleship and evangelism by yourself, right, your own heart, your own life. That requires grace. And then as a church, we have to have the grace of God. We have to have the spirit of God uh, on us in order to walk these things out um, as we should. And God will give grace to those who ask for it. Okay, which of you, your own fathers being evil, who they know how to give good gifts. How much more will our heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So for the month of January um, and after January, obviously, okay, um, we're asking and we're first asking with Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians um, that starts in in chapter three. So just some background here for Thessalonians. Um, Paul was with these guys for three weeks. Okay, three, three Sabbaths. So Acts 17. It says, as usual, because the gospel is to the Jew first, Paul went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days and he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead and saying this Jesus that I'm reading to you from uh, your scriptures. He's the Messiah. He's the king of Israel. He's the appointed one uh, who who God uh, has set up to, to fix all that went wrong. And so some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas and including a large number of God fearing Gentiles, as well as a number of leading women. Okay, so Paul goes in and things are going well. It's a good start. Jews are hearing about Jesus from the scriptures and they're thinking, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. A crucified Messiah to atone for our sins before the day of the Lord. We can put that on our timeline, and it, and it works fine. They, they, they get it, and that's why thousands and thousands of Jews accept Jesus as their Messiah in the first century, because like it fits, right? He, the, Paul's not telling them something that's just totally out of the water. He takes Jesus, puts it on their scripture, puts it in their timeline, and they go, oh yeah, we can get on board with that. Gentiles also, who are kind of hanging around um, at the synagogue, seeing what's going on, they're hearing this message, and they're right, kind of new for them. They're going, you mean we can live forever? That's what you're saying. You, you, Paul, you're explaining, you're reasoning from the scriptures, and you're saying we can live forever, like we can uh, be raised from the dead. And, Paul, you're saying we don't have to become Jews? We can remain Gentiles and just inherit eternal life without circumcision you know, at 30? Awesome! Sign us up! Like, we're, we're, we're all in! So, so Paul gets there, and it's a good start. The gospel's bearing fruit, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, not just in word, but in power. And the Spirit is confirming that these things Paul is saying about Jesus um, are true. And so in three weeks, he falls in love with them. Three weeks. Okay? Like, he, he, he loves them uh, just after three weeks. So 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, he's writing back to them and he says, we were gentle among you like nursing mothers, a little baby here, a little baby here, a little baby there, a little baby back there. Okay. We were gentle among you like nursing mothers. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also we're sharing our own lives because you had become dear to us. 
As you know, like a father with his own children, um, we encouraged you, we comforted you, we implored each one of you, because it's a small group, right? When, when you read the letters, don't think he's writing to, uh, you know, Hillsong, New York or whatever. He's like 20 people here, right? Uh, comfort implored each of you to walk worthy of God who calls you, calls y'all into his own kingdom and glory. So there's all this love for the people, but Paul has to leave quickly, right? He would have stayed longer, but he had to get out, Acts 17, 5. Um, but the Jews became jealous for Deuteronomy 32 reasons. I'm going to provoke you guys to jealousy with the foolish people, right? You guys have run after Gentile gods. That makes God jealous. God says, I'm going to go after Gentile people to make you jealous, right? It's a very junior high um, thing. But the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob and they started a riot um, in the city, mostly peaceful. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out into the public assembly. Right? So there's a mob and the disciples decide, or the apostles say, hey, we got, we're, we're going to get out of here. Right? Sometimes they stay and deal with it and sometimes they get out. It's just whatever the Spirit's leading. But because they love the people and because Paul is worried, he, he needs more time. To finish establishing them in the faith before the enemy comes and steals what's been sown, right? He, he's, he's really worried about that. And I get that. So when I, when, how many of you have taken the membership class? Raise your hand if you've taken it. Okay, so when I first presented that class to the elders, it was six weeks long. Because I was like, we got to get this, this, this. Now it's three. We've shortened it down. But I get, like, I want to tell them more. I want to establish them more, and he's worried because First Thessalonians three five, he's fearing that the tempter had tempted you, and that our labor for three weeks might be for nothing. So he's writing back to them to establish them in things that I wanted to tell you more. Okay, so they want to go back, but they're being hindered. First Thessalonians two seventeen, he says, "But as for us, brothers and sisters, we uh, were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart. Right, our hearts stayed." With you, we greatly desired, we made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but why couldn't they go there? Satan. Yeah, the devil. Okay, so the enemy is setting up um, roadblocks, persecution from both Jew and Gentile groups, and that's keeping Paul from getting to where. Um, he wants to be, which is the background of Paul's prayer. First Thessalonians 1.11. I want to get back to you, so what do I do? I'm going to pray. Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. So he's praying, God, make a way so that we can be with these people that we love again because we love them and because we need to establish them more in the faith. I don't want what's been sown here to be um, snatched up like the parable. So if this is how the apostles feel about their, their churches, the people they're giving their lives to, and the people they're giving the gospels to, is this how we feel about our body here? Okay? Like, can you use language like Paul uses when you think about um, our church and her members? Like, uh, we were um, like nursing mothers among you. As fathers with children, you become very dear to us, sharing not only the gospel, but also our um, own lives. Paul's saying these kinds of things. Paul is feeling these kinds of of feelings, um, and he's only been with them for three weeks. Most of us have been here together for more than three weeks. And so we need to ask the Lord to mark, to put this kind of, of, of love and desire for one another 
on our hearts, okay? That we have real, actual love and longing for each other. That we want to be with each other, okay? And I, that's why you, you came here this morning when it's zero. It's like, man, it would be nice to stay and be warm, but I actually want to be with these people. And I, you know what I mean? Like, it's, you're, you're, you're doing that. And we want to be together so we can establish each other in the gospel, right? Like Larry taught a class this morning and he could have been home warm, but you came here because you love them and you want to establish them in the faith. This is this is just to be normal discipleship, apostleship here. We want to love each other and prepare each other for when the tempter uh, comes to steal what's been sown. So that's why we meet. That's why we do Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is because the day is approaching. And so we need to gather and encourage each other all the more in these things so that when things get hard, when when the pressure turns up, we, we, we're, we're here. OK, we've got each other. Um, and so that's what Paul's praying for. So if that's not where your heart is for the members of your church, which you can just be honest. And you know, when I think about CLC, it's not all whatever. If it's not where your heart is, you should pray about it, which is what Paul does next in the next section of the prayer. Verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. Okay, so this is what we covered last week. It takes grace to overflow with love for each other. And so Paul asks for it. I want to get to you, Lord, make a way that we can get to you and Lord Increase their love for each other. Increase their, their longing and desire to, to be with each other and care for each other and do all the stuff. So Paul, uh, Paul will write this letter later, but he, he's praying, God, give them grace to do um, Colossians 3. So Colossians 3, he says, don't deal deceitfully with, with one another since you took off your former nature with its evil practices. But put on your new clothes, which are... A heart of mercy, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And then he says to do all this bearing with who? Bearing with one another, right? That's where mercy, kindness, patience, humility, meekness, that's where this is put into practice. That's where you see it fleshed out. Bearing with one another and forgiving who? The people out there? You should do that, of course. But Paul's like, no, there's going to be some issues in this life, right, with these people. And so he's instructing them, no, bear with each other with compassion and kindness and forgiving one another if one person should have a grievance against someone else. Just as the Lord himself forgave you, so you too must forgive. That's just, that's, that's step one, y'all. Like, that's basic to following Jesus, and it's hard. Okay? If you've ever been sinned against, you know it is Hard, right? When there is actually sin against the one another, actual sin in the body, and not, I'm not talking about, Paul's not talking about like small, petty church stuff, right? Like, oh, they changed the carpet, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Not what he's talking about. What he's talking about. He's talking about, what are you looking at me for? Oh. <laughs> Bearing with one another and forgive her. Yep. Okay. Um, but where there is actual sin against one another, like Piper just did to Sierra, um, mercy and patience and humility and forgiveness is hard. It's hard. If you've actually been sinned against, by, and by someone you, you didn't think would, that makes it even worse, Right? If someone just is in general hateful to you all the time and they do it again, you kind of become numb to it. 
when it's someone in the body who loves you and you love them and you're committed to them and they're committed to you and then the sin happens, that, that's hard. That's difficult. And so Paul is praying, may they increase in love for one another. Because you have to have grace to have these um, things. So God, God requires that we pray and ask for strength to wash this out. So Paul does. Paul's prayer for the body is that they walk out love for one another in obedience to Jesus' words and example. So John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And how does Jesus love people? God proves his love in this by sending Jesus to die for us, right? He proves his love in cross by this, by laying down our lives for each other, right? In times of of offense and, and where mercy and grace is going to be required. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you don't have love for one another, all people will not know you're my disciples. But if you do have love for one another, they they will, okay? So a church that increases and overflows with love for one another, that's a big lofty vision. Okay, like that's not a a small thing. But Paul seems to assume that if we pray for it, God will give it. If we ask for, for God to give us grace and mercy and kindness and humility and patience and forgiveness in the body, if we ask for it, God will give it and it will be beautiful. Okay, and our hearts will overflow and increase with love for one another and we'll reap the great joy that comes from that. Right. If if you've ever just been in a good relationship with another believer, it's awesome. It's the best. It's the best thing. And not only do we reap joy, the community takes notice. All people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay. So it's not a small little prayer Paul's praying here. Paul gives himself in prayer for this, right? Uh, chapter or Verse 8, he says, earnestly, day and night, we're praying, God, that they would increase and overflow in love for each other and for everyone, just as we do for them. Day and night, day and night, day and night, he's asking. So let's follow um, his model. And uh, finally, the last and most important section of the prayer He prays this way, uh, that we're able to overcome the devil's opposition and get back to you, okay? That you increase and overflow in love for each other with the same intensity of love that we love you, praying those two things. And then third, verse 13, he prays that God may make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So, Paul's... Hey, Lana, Stop that. Thanks. Paul's goal, okay, and thus Paul's prayer, right? Because you pray according to your goal, right? You got a goal. You got something in mind. That's what you're praying for. So Paul's prayer um, uh, is that the Thessalonians, that when Jesus comes with the saints and angels and fire and all this stuff, his prayer is that they would inherit eternal life. They would inherit the promised kingdom. The, The drive of Paul's prayer for this congregation of however many people is that at the judgment, they are presented before the judge and the judge says, blameless. That's his whole, that's all Paul cares about, okay? Like, we're gonna cover more, more prayers in the next three weeks. They're all this. All Paul cares about is that you guys that I'm praying for, that I poured my life into, that I shared the gospel and my life with, I want to, on that day, present you before the judge. The judge says blameless, and you inherit eternal life, okay? 
So at his coming, when Jesus returns and this present evil age gives way to an age of life and joy and peace, Paul wants these people entering into it. Okay, At his coming, when Jesus returns and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, Paul wants this congregation living in it, so he prays for it. Okay, Paul's whole drive. Like this, this is what he cares about is that they, by faith in Jesus' work, by faith in his cross, live forever. Paul, what do you think about the Thessalonians? I really want them to inherit eternal life. So I'm praying day and night earnestly for them that I could get to them and establish them in these things, that they would increase in love, and that on the day when he comes with his angels and saints, they are raised from the dead. That's all I care about, okay? And he prays for it specifically here, right? Just flat out prays that. Um, but he's told them this the entire letter, okay? The entire letter is concerned with the reality that the day of the Lord is almost here and that they have to walk out in faithfulness in the meantime. So the letter concludes with this. So chapter um, 4 and 5, verse 15, he says, For we say this to you, and he's just gone through again that Jesus has died, risen, will come again with saints, angels, and fire. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those um, who have fallen asleep. So Paul's expecting Jesus to return, right? We, who are still alive at his coming, he's expecting the capital D, day of the Lord, in his lifetime. We who are still alive, when he comes, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. Not in secret, not quietly. Trumpets, angels, fire, all the stuff. And when this happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, Paul, I who is still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What words? That he's coming, right? Angels, fire, the resurrection of the dead. Encourage each other with this and pray in light of this, you guys encourage each other with the day of the Lord and you pray in light of the day of the Lord. Right. Like it's just the same thing. Verse four of chapter five now. But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief for you are all children of light. Right. You guys are the seed of the serpent. You're not the seed of the woman. Right. You're, you're, you're no, 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 you are the seed of the woman, not the seed of the serpent. <laughs> You're children of light. You're children of the day. You're children of the age to come. You're children who are groaning for your adoption as sons, the redemption of your bodies, which you'll receive when Jesus returns. You're children of the day, not the night. We do not belong to the night. We don't belong to the darkness. We don't belong to this age, right? Romans 14, don't live according to the nighttime. Live according to the day. Walk as if in the daytime. So then let us not sleep like the rest. But let us stay awake and be self-controlled, which is the prayer, right? That they walk in blamelessness and holiness before God, not in the sleep and, and drowsiness and cares and dissipation that mark this age. And they get weighed down by these things. And then you don't think about the return of Jesus anymore because all you're focused on is, oh, I got to do all this stuff. And No, we're not going to be asleep. We're going to be awake and sober. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not appoint his people to be thrown into a lake of fire with the devil and all his angels. That's not what your destiny is. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, God, right? To be raised from the dead and inherit eternal life. What, what, uh... Stoney quoted an Isaiah scripture uh, in Larry's class this morning where everyone sits under the shade of their own tree and... Uh, 
That's to obtain that. That's what Paul says. Not wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Therefore, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So that's the conclusion of the letter, right? It's concerned with the Lord's return. His coming, angels, fire, wrath, salvation, right? That's just, those are the things at the end of the letter. But he starts the letter with these things too. Verse uh, 1 Thessalonians 11, 1. Like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, implored each of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into what? His own kingdom and glory. And so by the time Paul is writing uh, the phrase kingdom and glory, that it, it's a catchphrase for, for the Jewish view uh, of the future. That's the prophets developed and second temple guys developed. So when Paul writes glory, right? So if you're reading your Bible and you're, oh, and you're, uh, and you're reading Paul and you see glory, you, you think age to come. Okay? So Isaiah uh, eleven ten, the Messiah's throne will be glorious. Isaiah 24, the Messiah's glory will be displayed on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Isaiah 35, the Lord's glory will fill the desert. Isaiah 40, the glory of the Lord will appear and all flesh will see it. Isaiah 60, the Lord says concerning Zion and her people and all all the Gentiles that are, are joining in, arise and shine, your light is coming, the glory of the Lord shines on you. Okay, glory uh, uh, means the age to come. And this definition of glory is maintained throughout the letters. And I'll just do Paul's here because the other apostles say this too. But Paul, Romans 5, 2. We've obtained access through Jesus by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We're hoping, right, in the glory to come. Romans 8. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And Romans 8 clearly spells out that the glory is resurrected bodies on a restored and renewed earth. And we're groaning for that, longing for that, waiting for that. Second Corinthians 4, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Where's Braden at? Is Braden in here? Oh, he's still in security. Gary Robinson, guys. I mean, well, glory! Like this is this is it. This is it. Philippians three. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body, resurrected. Right. Colossians three. When Christ, who is your life, appears, is revealed, returns, then you also will appear with Him in in glory. And so Paul's saying. We encouraged, implored, exhorted you to walk worthy uh, as he's calling you into his kingdom and and glory. Paul's whole drive for the letter is preparing them for the return of Jesus, preparing them for the day of the Lord, preparing them to be raised from the dead, to inherit the earth and not a lake of fire and instead inherit glory. This is what he wants, how he starts starts the letter, how he ends the letter. First Thessalonians uh, one, you guys, you turn from idols, right? Gentile. I guess maybe some Jews were too, but you guys turn from idols, right? Eyes who can't see, ears who can't hear, right? To serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The coming wrath associated with the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus. And through walking worthy in light of the cross, Paul says you can be saved from that wrath. Inherit eternal life. And not Gehenna, right? So, that's Paul's concern over and over and over. But it, it, Paul's kind of selfish. Or not selfish. 
He wants, he wants some good out of this too, okay? So his concern is that they inherit the kingdom and glory, and not just for their sake, but also for, for Paul's, all right? There's some mutual blessing happening here. First Thessalonians 2. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy, okay? So Jesus returns, right? The congregation inherits this promised glory, and that brings great joy and reward to who? To Paul, right? Being able to present them blameless through, through his obedience to Jesus, right? teaching them the cross, teaching them the resurrection, teaching them to follow Jesus on the narrow path. He gets to present them to the Lord, and Paul's rewarded for it. And Paul gets joy from it, okay? So Paul and, and his apostolic uh, band, however many there were, they want to present these people to the Lord on that day like a gift and say, Lord, look what we've brought you. Right? It's that little drummer boy. You know? <laughs> I just have this. I don't have... I, 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 we brought you this by your grace and by your spirit. We were obedient and shepherding and discipling these people, teaching them to trust in the cross and hope in your return. And now, on that day, the apostles will say, here they are. And, and, and joy will fill them. And, and like this is their hope. This is their joy. This is their boast. This is their crown. Lord, we, we brought you this gift, and it's the people in, in Thessalonica. You're, you're worthy of, of them. All we have, all is yours. And that's a worthy goal and aim, okay? So whether you are a, a parent with children, your joy, your boast, your crown on that day at his coming is that you could present your children to him, right? Pastors, elders, like this is our, we want to present this congregation to Jesus, blameless in holiness on that day. Not because they were awesome, but because we taught them and instructed them to look to the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. To, to look to the cross as the basis on which they will inherit eternal life. Not a wage, but as a gift. Right? That Like, that's the goal. Right? That's the goal. I don't really care about anything else except that the members of Christian Life Church and everyone else that we can reach, that on that day we can say things like Paul. And say, you are our joy and our boasting and our crown. Lord, here, here's what we've brought you. It's a worthy goal and a worthy aim that Paul has. And we want to share in the same thing. So on the day he appears, we want to present one another before him blameless. So, with all of that in view, let's read the prayer again. He says... Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. Because we want to be with you and we want to shore up some of the message we taught and reinforce it so it can't be taken away by the tempter. Which is how you teach. Okay? Like Brody makes fun of me. Because he says, I wonder what you're preaching about tomorrow, Josh. Day of the Lord. But this is how you teach. This is how you re- reinforce, right? How much new material does a math teacher do the next year? No, we're going to learn to count again. Or maybe for the first time. Okay. Reinforcing the, these things. We want to direct our way to you. Verse 12. May, our, may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. So if we don't, we don't have mutual love and care for each other like Jesus taught. We're not going to stay on the path. Okay. Like it's not going to happen. The only way that we run this race together is if we actually love each other. Okay. So he prays for it. Verse 13. May... 
uh, he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your, this, is, this is Ephesians 5, right? He's going to present them without spot or wrinkle, sanctifying them completely before he comes. Um, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's praying this because there's a worthy walk of faith that God requires to be found blameless before him at the judgment. And that walk of faith looks like not being awesome, okay? Like, I don't want you leaving here like with all this pressure. Like, oh my God. The walk of faith looks like by the Spirit's power obeying Jesus and denying ungodliness and most importantly putting your trust in the cross and walking in, in repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. That's how you inherit eternal life. That's the path that makes your heart blameless. That's the path that sanctifies you. That's the path that prepares you to not be caught unaware, but to be awake when Jesus returns. And so if you have questions today about getting on the path that leads to life, getting on the path that looks to the cross for the forgiveness of sins, looks to the resurrection for the guarantee of your resurrection, you can talk to a member of our church. Say, hey, I'm, I'm not on that path. I would like to get on that path. That sounds good. Okay. Talk to a member of our church, talk to me or any of our elders or on our homepage on our website. Just fill out the thing and, and we'll get back to you. But don't leave here today not on this path, okay? And this is the path that we pray into for each other, okay? Which again is one of my hopes of working through these things. That we start to take the language of the apostles and how they prayed and we start to care about the things that they cared about and give our lives to the things that, that they cared about. Um, and this will come through prayer. Okay. Robert, would you come help us, please? Thank you, sir. So that's what um, I want to do now is... Um,